Four new Vikings to break down on day three of the draft. A couple of LSU Tigers, a quarterback, and a running back I think we can be kind of excited about too. It's the Locked On Vikings podcast. You liked it on three, one, two, three. You, like you are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the Locked On Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. Show is on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. You can find the show wherever you find your favorite podcasts, including YouTube, maybe even Amazon Fire or Roku. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of the NFL. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on today to get started. This is a day three recap podcast. We got four guys to go through, so we can't waste any time. I also want to make sure I get you info about all the trades that the Vikings made uh, because they did do some trading around in uh, the the first part of day three. That was actually the first thing that happened. Vikings come up uh, at pick 119, which is the fourth rounder they got for TJ Hawkinson. You can kind of think of it as that's where their second rounder went. Their actual fourth rounder was traded away as a part of a trade-up last year. Uh, so this is kind of their secondary fourth rounder. They moved that back 15 spots, and they got a fifth rounder next year. So that'll be nice. They'll have two fifth rounders next year, at least as it stands right now. At pick 134 is where they ended up going. That was a trade with the Chiefs. Uh, they pick their first player of day three, and it is cornerback slash safety slash linebackers, a defensive guy, <laughs> Jay Ward out of LSU. Uh, I guess what I would want you to know about Ward, I'm not done watching him by a long shot. I, I've gotten a little bit and there's some scouting reports and stuff. So the, the book on him is that he's a rangy defender. I think safety is the best word for him if you must use a position designation. But he's one of those guys that if you just think of him as a safety, you're kind of doing him a disservice, especially when we talk on uh, the, the lockdown postcast with Sam Ekstrom and Luke Inman, they were, we were talking a little bit about positional value. And if you're going to talk about positional value, which is going to make you devalue safety too much anyways, I, I hate the way that positional value stuff has uh, spoken about the, the safety position. I think they do, that, that has done a really bad job of evaluating, valuing the safety position. Um, but if you're going to call him a safety, you're also not really getting the right valuation on what his position is because he lined up at nickel corner a lot, safety a lot, half safety, box safety, deep field safety, middle third stuff, blitzing linebacker, just straight up will linebacker, B gap in the run fit, um, all of that stuff and all of that stuff in the same game. And it really depended on what defensive coverage the the Tigers wanted to call. He would be able to fill that role. Now, there's a value in that versatility that I think most people understand. But it's if that's not something like that was listed as a weakness of, oh, well, you don't really know where to play him. What do you mean you don't you play him anywhere? <laughs> like, I don't understand why that's a bad thing that he, there's too many options. What do you mean? Um, now if he's bad at all of those things and you go, well, I don't know what his talent is. Yeah. Okay. That's a weakness, a kind of a lack of strengths, but 
I don't think that that's really the vibe with Jay Ward. Um, and the real value here is when you're hunting a matchup, let's say, you know, you've got a guy that you think Byron Murphy matches up really, really well with. Uh, or like we were talking about yesterday, Makai Blackman. Let's say you've got a Makai Blackman matchup. There's this really softy, soft wide receiver on the other guys that you think Makai Blackman's going to totally beat up and you want to follow him all over the field, right? Well, let's say they put that guy at nickel or in the slot. So Makai Blackman is now playing nickel corner all day long. They want they want to say, okay, you're putting Makai Blackman here. We're going to put him in the slot. Okay. So you need your other defensive backs to all be able to play outside. Now, let's say the next game, there's another softy, soft wide receiver. You put Makai Blackman on him, but that receiver is an outside receiver. Well, now you have a, a void in the nickel. Who goes in the nickel? You need the guy to be able to come in and play nickel as well, or you at least need somebody who can play nickel as well. So having that versatility allows you to say, well, man, Lewis Seen is the perfect matchup for this particular guy. But if we're going to put him in man coverage, that means we need another guy to play safety. Okay, that's where Jay Ward can come in. Um... And also just be able to move around the formation and be really difficult to surmise for quarterbacks. Quarterbacks couldn't look at LSU number five and figure out what the coverage is because, well, I don't know. He can play free safety so he could line up here. He can play uh, nickel. So the fact that he's, you know, kind of lined up as a as a will linebacker on the strong side of the formation doesn't really tell me if he's going to actually play linebacker or a hook zone or a whatever. Like, it's really difficult to figure out because there's so many different things it could be. Um, in terms of his actual play, I'm getting to it. I'll probably do a whole episode on him that's more detailed. But what I got right now is um, the the technique's okay. I don't know. It's a little clunky on first glance, but I, it's only on first glance. Really what he is is he's a run, run down, chase you down kind of guy. If you throw a flat or throw a screen or something like that, that's kind of where he's at his best. Uh, and he's, you know, comes in like a missile and, and lights you up and he's, he's gotten flagged a few too many times. If you want like a real weakness to go be mad about, it's that he just cannot stop getting flagged and he's really a launcher. This is a very, very Andrew Sendejo kind of player for better or worse. Um, he'll leave his feet and then there's missed tackles that come from that too. When you are a leave your feet, launch at the guy kind of tackler, you're going to get flags and you're going to get juked. Because you leave your feet, you can't exactly uh, respond to the guy evading you. You become a lot easier to evade that way. It's a really bad habit for a bunch of reasons. I don't want to get it out of him. But that's what I have on Jay Ward so far. And then they went back to the LSU well uh, at pick 141. So they had pick, pick 158. They move up 17 spots at the cost of their sixth round pick. So pick 211. They trade up with the Colts. And at 141, they pick uh, Jaquelin Roy who's, it looks like Jacqueline, but it's Jaqueline, I guess. Yes, that's the key in Peel sketch. Um, get your giggles out now. Uh, Jaqueline Roy is a run-stuffing D-tackle kind of guy. Think of this, not one-for-one one as a Dalvin Tomlinson replacement, because I don't think he's going to get that many snaps, but you know that's the position that he's playing. Um, again, I'm, I'm very, very much just like scratch the surface on his tape, so I can only speak to so much, but I really like the way that he stands up to, to contact uh, in the trenches, the way that he holds his spot. That's what you really want with those guys. You want their feet to get planted and then just for them to be impossible to move. And you can really see him like long arming against centers and, and guards to keep their hands off of them. 
um, keeping to his spot, playing gap and a half, which is where you have uh, a primary gap. You know, let's say you're on the left of this offensive lineman and you've got him and I'm on the left of him and that's my gap. But I also have to go to the right of him if the run goes there. But I want to flash across as late into the play as possible so that they don't have so that their their run play doesn't develop thinking that I'm in that gap. I want it to kind of be a secret that I'm in that gap. I guess that's a, a way to explain it. Um, so we played that te- technique really, really well. That's kind of all I've seen so far. I haven't seen really much from him in the past because most of his pass rush assignments have just been like hold down the spot, which is the job sometimes. Uh, but if that's all he does, I'm a little bit worried. But I also have I've seen like four reps. So I'll get back to you on that. Um, but yeah, like a big dog uh, interior defensive line guy. I'm, I'm glad that they got one of those interior defensive line guys. I'm glad they got another defensive back. Um, they. I think have a a cornerback room now, if you count Jay Ward as a cornerback, that feels full. And they they added a couple undrafted free agents who we will talk about tomorrow as well. Um, but And the D-tackle room feels like full. There's some competition. It feels like maybe you can be dissatisfied with the level of talent of all of those players in those rooms, but at least it feels like a serious room. Um, and now we can kind of do some competition and see who who breaks out there. I do want to talk to you about the other two guys. I'm very excited about both of them. Uh, but before I do that, let me talk to you about a good old gramble. FanDuel is America's number one sports book, and it's America's number one sports book for a reason. Their app is safe, secure, very easy to use, um, and they have all kinds of bets on FanDuel. You can get paid instantly, whether you bet on a money line or a a particular player prop, or maybe you've mashed a bunch of them together into a parlay. You can get paid out instantly and once again, safe and secure. And new customers get a no sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's $1,000 back in bonus bets if you whiff on that first bet. There's no better place to bet all of that NHL and MLB and NBA action, two of those three leagues in their playoffs, than America's number one sportsbook, FanDuel, official sports betting partner of the NBA. Thanks so much for making Locked On Vikings your first listen of the day each and every day. Hashtag everydayers. Sound off if you listen to Locked On Vikings every single day. Uh, if you would like to check out some of these players, I have broken some of them down. I did a Jordan Addison video on my Patreon, patreon.com slash NFL. I did it back in like March. You can check that out. I took the paywall, paywall down so everybody can watch it, whether they've joined or not. Although I would love it if you just, you still did. And I, I will have videos coming out on hopefully all of the other draft picks, uh, five players. That's not too bad. So hopefully I'll be able to get to them. Uh, but the guy I probably watched the most tape of is that, that the Vikings picked outside of Jordan Addison is Jaron Hall. I actually spent kind of the whole last week leading up to the draft, watching down a whole bunch of day three quarterbacks that I thought were options for the Vikings guys. They had met with and stuff, Jaron Hall on that list. And they took Jaron Hall and great news. Jaron Hall was my favorite of the whole bunch. (laughs) Once you get past those top four quarterbacks that all went in the first, uh, first round more or less. And then Levisette picked 33. Once you get through those, those four quarterbacks, my favorite of this whole bunch was, was Jaron Hall. Uh, and I got receipts for that. I'm not just saying that because the Vikings took him. I love it. Jaron Hall out of BYU. Uh, they pick him all the way at pick 164, which was the other uh, fifth round pick that they got from San Francisco in their trade down from day two. So that day two trade down worked out like gangbusters. They go down 15 spots. They miss out on zero cornerbacks, draft the cornerback. They probably would have taken at 87 anyways, uh, unless they changed their mind in 15 picks, but no corners went off the board. 
Uh, and then they end up picking up Jaron Hall and the with the seventh rounder, they get uh, D. Wayne McBride, who I'll talk about in a sec as well. So that worked out great. Uh, Jaron Hall is uh, the thing that I guess made me rise him up the board, even past somebody like Dorian Thompson Robinson, who I sung the praises of quite a bit. And he went ahead of uh, Jaron Hall to the Browns, but I actually had him above Dorian, Dorian Thompson Robinson by a hair, mostly because of scheme fit. What they do at BYU is really similar to what the Vikings are doing. Not necessarily in terms of play selection or like offensive architecture, but in what they ask the quarterback to do. So if I'm thinking translatable skills, because I'm, I'm scouting the player, not the not the BYU OC, right? But if I'm scouting the player, there's a lot of play action dovetail kind of dropbacks where you're hitting a certain launch point, but you're not dropping like straight back. It's a different footwork. Uh, the Vikings ask a lot of that too. It can be really, really helpful to sort of edit your launch points according to where the protection is going and, and how, what, which run play you're actually faking. It's this, this sort of symbiotic relationship between run and pass. If, if you're going to do a trap protection, which is, which looks like power, you have a pulling guard, the ideal launch point for the quarterback might be a different place left or right, depending on how you usually run that run play, because the play action should look like that run play. And that's going to determine where the O-line is. And that's going to determine what the best O-line angles are, what the best like protection angles are. So where do you want the quarterback to be? That means you might need to kind of drift your, your, uh, drop back footwork a little bit. And that's really hard. That's something that sometimes quarterbacks don't have, especially if you're in, you know, these shotgun air raid, I never go under center at all kind of teams. That can be a difficult thing to get down, which, you know, just adds to your development curve. We don't have to worry about with Jer about that kind of thing with Jaron Hall. And I think that's the kind of thing that doesn't get covered enough. The idea of, okay, that's just like a whole bunch of stuff I don't have to teach you. And that matters so much more because Jaron Hall is old. Um, I, I just have been in a couple back and forth with people. I was talking to, uh, again, I was talking to Ekstrom about it on the on the postcast. You know, I, I, I went so hard against Hendon Hooker this draft cycle, so how can I possibly like a different old guy? And I would ask you to go back and listen to what I said because I was very clear in, in all of those places. Him being old isn't my issue. Uh, it's context to my issue. And the context is I can't really expect you to learn a whole bunch of new tricks just because of... A, I mean, you've been a starter for so long. So if there's a, a, a problem, why haven't you figured it out yet? That's a concern for me. But also, it's just really hard to learn. I mean, have you ever tried to learn a new language when you're, you know, past 25 versus learning a new language in like high school is like it just absorbs a lot easier. And that's there's actually like a, a whole neurological reasoning behind that. That's pretty interesting if you wanted to get into it. Um, so it's kind of like, OK, I got to take this guy as he is and hope that I'm OK with his flaws. And I am OK with his flaws. Uh, in, in a way that is, I think, a lot easier to come to grips with than someone like DTR, who I absolutely love, but he's got flaws that I was going to have to work a little harder to be okay with. Um, and, you know, Hooker, whose flaws I'm not okay with. Or you can talk about like a younger corner or a younger quarterback and say, oh, yeah, he's got flaws, but I can at least expect that to develop a little bit more. So, that's the how the age thing affects my evaluation of Jaron Hall. It's just that, okay, these problems are his problems, his strengths are his strengths, and this is kind of who he is and who he's going to be, and you have to be okay with that, and I am. Um, 
it was also just a lot of very hard stuff. His wide receivers didn't get a lot of separation except for uh, Puka, whatever his name was, ended up on the Rams, by the way. That whole offense was very McVay style. Uh, and so I'm, I'm not surprised that he went up on the Rams too. Um, but everybody else really struggled to get separation. He had a tight end that didn't have as big of a catch radius as you would hope for the body that he had. He had, you know, issues in with in protection all the time. Guys, you know, just making him run around, create plays, make plays. And he had a couple of like really bad mind numbing interceptions where he just tries to do way too much and, you know, tries to be the hero. And you just got to go like, dude, you cannot get away with that throw because <laughs> he's kind of crazy. Um, another guy that I think I'm going to do an entire episode on uh, and, and, and get into some of that stuff in a little bit more detail. But for now, you can think like, what is the purpose of drafting a Jaron Hall? And here's what I think the purpose is, right? I guess there's two different thought processes I think the Vikings can have. Cause I don't think you're just drafting him to be the backup. Like Nick Mullins is fine for that. I don't think that's a need, right? Um, you're either drafting him to be a, a Debbie guy, a Kyle Sloter. Hey, let's see if we can teach this guy stuff. And maybe we backdoor our way into having a really cool quarterback. Cause we, you know, developed him Tony Romo style. Um, that the odds of that are always really long, but by the time you're into day three, it's it's a cheap bet and the possible payout is so high that even though the odds are long is probably worth it. That's sort of the idea of grabbing a Debbie quarterback. That's the idea of drafting Aiden O'Connell, I think, is that kind of guy. Um, Jake Hayner, maybe that kind of guy, although he's got physical limitations. I don't think that that's Hall for a lot of the reasons I just mentioned, right? Like he's 25. He also took time off. He did the mission at BYU. So that's part of it. He's not just like a dude that was in college for six years. Um, there's, there's that kind of gap for the mission. Cause got to do the Mormon thing. <laughs> but I think instead it's okay. This guy maybe is a bridge quarterback and, and assuming he translates to the NFL and, and he, you know, he actually adjusts to all the new, uh, levels of intensity in the new playbook and all that stuff, which is a, a risk for every single rookie all the way from Bryce Young down to whoever Mr. Irrelevant was every single one undrafted guys. All of them have to deal with that. Right. So maybe he doesn't make that transition, but understanding you can't really factor out that risk. The idea is this guy maybe can be a bridge quarterback where I don't really trust him as a starter full time uh, the, because of the issues that he has, I think just kind of, writing our writing checks his arm can't cash kind of deal. Um, I mean, he can make some awesome throws from like hash to sideline, really cool stuff that I, that I will get excited about. Um, but you know, there, a little bit too much inconsistency play to play in terms of like, how long do you go before you have a bozo moment that breaks the game? I don't trust you for a whole year. Right. But um, I can put you in, into camp splitting reps with a rookie. I draft in 2024 and I can feel okay about that. And now I don't have to make Kirk Cousins part of that equation. That is the value proposition here. And, and it's a big value proposition because it's a lot of money if we're going to bring Kirk Cousins back for 2024, which is, Kwesi was as clear as he could be without saying it outright, very much on the table right now is an, a, a Kirk Cousins extension. The door is 100% open. That is That ship has not sailed. Um, I think what happened in the draft was going to affect that negotiation a lot. And getting someone like Jaron Hall actually makes it still really difficult for me to figure out what exactly the plan is. Cause I don't know if they see him. I mean, it's a fifth round pick, right? Maybe they just see him as a dart. They're throwing at the wall that doesn't affect their pro their process at all. Or maybe they see him like I saw him as a third round pick. That can be a bridge quarterback that, that can be somebody. All right. 
the rookie's not ready. We need you to start for six games, and then the rookie's going to come in. I can absolutely take Jaron Hall for that, and maybe they just are really, really happy that they got him at, at, at a cheap price tag. Um, if it is the latter case, and you can say, all right, great, now we don't need to deal with, you know, tens of millions of dollars fully guaranteed for this year. We can sort of figure out that that makes the cap situation so much easier to figure out. There's so much value in that greatly exceeding the value of a fifth round pick. If that is the case, or I don't know, maybe he comes into camp and he totally sucks and I'm crazy wrong about him. Absolutely possible. These things happen. Uh, they also picked a running back, which I think we all kind of saw coming. Um, that also means some interesting things for Dalvin cook. Uh, so we'll, break all of that down as well. So thank you so much once again for uh, listening to all of this draft stuff and hanging out with me for all of, of draft weekend. I, I really can't uh, express enough how, how grateful I am to have so many people listening and, and hanging out with me, hanging out in the live stream and all of that stuff throughout this crazy weekend. It's one of the biggest, hardest weekends of the year. And seeing how much uh, everybody seems to be getting out of this is what makes it worth it. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much. Uh, Moving on to the seventh round pick. So they traded away their sixth round pick to go up and get Jaquel and Roy. Um, seventh round pick, 222, the last pick that they had from San Francisco. They sit pat and they take UAB's D. Wayne McBride, another guy they met with, so uh, very much on a lot of people's radars. Um, and the first player they, t well, BYU and, and UAB, Everything else had been like power five blue blood programs. Go back to last year. They take a Georgia dude and a Clemson dude. And <laughs> the, it seems like quasi has got a, a big school thing. Uh, but again, you know, we're only two years in. maybe that's just the first two years and maybe it'll be all small school guys next year. Cause that's just the way the board falls. But anyways, yeah, they get this UAB running back. Um, he's somebody I haven't gotten a chance to, to watch at all yet. So I'm going off of osmosis and what, like some people that I trust have said, and, and I'm just pass that along to you kind of aggregating, uh, aggregate style. Uh, but he's a tackle miss guy, a tackle misser forcer. That's the way my brain can put together sentences. It's been a long weekend, everybody. <laughs> uh, he's a forced tackle, forced miss tackle guy. There we go. I did it. Uh, <laughs> he's like metrics wise, you know, PFF stats and, and analytics that, that track stuff like explosiveness and breakaway and all that stuff. If he can get into space, he's really difficult to bring down. Um, he'll bounce off of you. It's, it's a big contact balance thing, which is the, the phrase that people use for when a tackler is coming, gets you square on the hip and then bounces off. He's really good at that. Um, Th that's one of the most important running back skills, I think, is being able to sort of keep your balance in the trenches and in all of the the physical phone booth stuff of a uh, of a running play. You know, you talk about burst through the hole or acceleration through the hole. Really, for a running back, they need to get through the hole. And whether it's by you know being so quick, nobody can tackle you; being so physical, no one can bring you down. Hurdling, whatever, right? It's who cares? It's can you get through the hole? And I think that's really the point of Dwayne McBride. And a lot of people had him as a third or fourth round pick. Um, there was a hamstring injury that made it so he could not test that might have muddied his draft eval and caused him to fall all the way to the seventh. But I think the real thing that did it is very little participation in the pass game. So that makes him a, a much more difficult option to stomach uh, in a committee 
where you don't necessarily want, like you can specialize your committees some, but you don't want them to be tells. You don't want, oh, McBride's coming out. That means it's a run play because he can't do anything in the pass. Now, there's a couple things here. A, I think that that points to, I feel like a pretty big role for Ty Chandler, who that was the point of Ty Chandler was like, he was a good pass pro running back. Um, But also, you know, and this means very interesting things for Dalvin Cook, right? Even though it's just a seventh round pick, like a seventh round pick isn't going to be replacing your starter. We already kind of know that Dalvin Cook's maybe on the outs, uh, whether it's a trade or a cut or a post to June cut now is very much just a cap decision. And the difference right now with Dalvin Cook's contract, if they cut him now, it's like six million dead. If they cut him after June 1st of this year, where nothing really significant will have happened, OTAs, that's it. It'll be three million this year and three million next year. And you just split the dead cap up. That's the way that the June 1st thing works, which they want to do. I don't know. Six of one, half a dozen of the other to me. Um, but that will kind of determine whether or not they do it now or they wait. Uh, or they could also wait and try to work out a trade. Maybe a trade's work easy. Maybe they want to work out a trade, but they want to wait till after June 1st to do the trade because then the dead cap works the same way there. So there's still a lot of questions. I don't exactly know what the plan is. Um, by the next time, like uh, by the next time we talk, it could have happened. Uh, after I, I do the undrafted free agents tomorrow, we could, we could have an answer on Dalvin Cook between then and I'll take a couple of days off podcasting because I'm very tired. <laughs> but maybe something will happen in the meantime there, or maybe it doesn't happen till July. Who knows? Um, but it's it's interesting too. I, I we can't know that Dwayne McBride is like bad in the past. I mean, I'll watch the reps where he's on and it's a pass play and see if I like what I see. I'll get back to you on that. Um, but just the lack of participation is kind of a UAB thing. It's like a crazy depth yards, uh, air yards kind of offense. Um, and a quarterback that didn't really want to check down a lot. So he just didn't get a lot of targets. That might not be on him. That might just be an, a, a UAB thing. Um, I think I said BYU a couple times, a UAB thing that that might just be their offense. Right. And I don't know the answer to that, but I will investigate it. That's going to be one of the questions that I have was, is this a deficiency of his or is this just the offense didn't really let us see him do it? And maybe he can do it. Right. Um, but it's, you know, you can't exactly call it a strength and that's the kind of thing that's going to drop him down the board. I think a lot more than, you know, the third or fourth round where a lot of people had him. So an interesting group of running backs. I'm curious to see what this looks like by the time we get to camp. Um, also, they signed 15 undrafted free agents. Not going to have time to get to all of them there, but I will mention, and I'll go over them in more detail tomorrow, Ivan Pace was one that uh, a lot of people wanted to draft in day three. They didn't draft him, but they did get him in through undrafted free agency, so we love that. And Andre Carter, the edge outside linebacker type out of Army. Um, big Sam Ekstrom guy. He's been talking about Andre Carter for a long time. Uh, really, I'll call it an interesting uh, post-draft pro- or pre-draft process that that really sunk his value all the way out of the round when, when a lot of people saw him as maybe a day two guy when he was coming out of army until the, the pre-draft process really sunk his stock. A lot of interesting stuff to talk about there as well, but we just don't have time to do it. So you're just going to have to come back and listen tomorrow. So we'll have to uh, get that done. I will see you all tomorrow. Make sure you come stick around, talk about the undrafted guys and, and just like recap this whole thing in, in kind of a more big picture way. Uh, And then I'll take a couple days off and see you later in the week. So until then, as always, skull.